everybody. Welcome in the latest edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. I'm Tony Andracki here with MarqueeSportsNetwork.com Cubs reporter Andy Martinez. And there's really a lot to break down. Cubs just concluded a two-game series in Cleveland. They lost both games. That's three straight one-run losses for the Cubs a full week of action of one-run games for this team right now but really kind of more importantly big picture and for the right now is there's a lot of injuries David Ross's staff the 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 roster the depth is really being tested at this point we just saw Jake Marisnik go down a few days ago in the the final uh, the finale against the Pirates Javi Baez missed Tuesday's game in Cleveland Chris Bryant came out of Tuesday's game came into Wednesday's game because he was feeling sick then got hit in the wrist in the middle of Wednesday's game now, his status is a little bit unknown. They're calling it a contusion. Uh, they don't think he'll need to go get imaging or anything else. But obviously, you know, his health, Javi Baez's health is a big thing. One, you know, good news, though, there is some reinforcements coming for the Cubs. Jake Arrieta is set to return. He'll take the ball Friday in Detroit for the first uh, first game of the series against the Tigers. And it looks like Nico Horner as well. He might return on, on Friday uh, Ian Happ is a little bit further behind with the ribs after that collision. So he might still be activated this weekend, but just Andy with all these injuries and, and the Cubs depth right now, wh- what do you make of, of the way that this depth is being tested? I think it, there's, there's no better time to find out what your team's made of than, than right now in May. And, you know, um, at least early, early signs are, you know, this bench, this bench can play at a, at a high level and can step in as necessary. Um, we saw it against the Dodgers uh, and against the Pirates in the first two games. The, the guys, Matt Duffy, Eric Sogard, all these guys that we have been talking about all season and, and, in, and in spring training, they're, they're stepping up and then they're showing it. The, the bench is, is being tested and proving that they can fill in for guys as necessary because, you know, as, as painful as it is to say, right, like this isn't going to be the last time there's injuries that come up for the Cubs uh, throughout the rest of the season. Like there will be some more injuries that come up uh, in, in September and in, in July and August, whenever. They're, they're, it's just the nature of the season. It's the nature of baseball. Um, so to see these guys be able to step in right now and more importantly for them to get wins, uh, sweeping the Dodgers was huge. Um, I think if you would have told the Cubs going in everything, all things considered, you'd be happy taking one or two out of that series and to, to sweep. Uh, that's got to be really, really, really reassuring for the Cubs. And and like you mentioned, reinforcements are on the way not to get um, super nerdy with you, but it, it kind of thinks it kind of reminds me of Avengers. Right. You remember that that scene in the last Avengers where you know, Captain America and Thor and all of them are fighting Thanos. And, and then all of a sudden you hear, Hey, cap on your left. And the rest of the Avengers come in, come back from, from, uh, from being dead. So like, this is kind of what it feels like, right? Like the, the rest of the Cubs, Nico Horner, Ian Happ, all these guys are coming in at the right time for the, for the Cubs. All right. Since you sent us down this nerdy path, let's keep going down that. So for starters, Andy, did you get chills when that happened? When you heard on your left, when you were watching it for the first time, it was like, it was super, super cool. And yeah, you get chills. And it was also at the same time, it's also like, you know, it's coming. Like you have an inclination it's coming, but it's still like, it's so really, really cool to see for sure. All right. So it was three of them. It was Thor, Captain America and Tony Stark, right? Right. So, Correct. so if it's the Cubs three, then you got Rizzo, Bryant, Javi, you were probably the most three. So which one's which? That's a, well, that's a good question. I think, I think Riz has got to be Captain America, right? Like, I think that oh, one. Yeah. I think that one, that's the, the first the, Avenger. He was the first of the Cubs core. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the, just on a style look, I would go Javi as Thor. Okay. Um, just like the, 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 
the style of, of both of them. And then I think that that just that just leaves uh, Chris Bryant as as uh, as Iron Man, um, which I guess, you know, a lot of ways doesn't fit. But at the same time, I can see some some ways how it could fit for sure. I can kind of see that a little bit, just in the sense that like Iron Man was um, just kind of a regular guy and you yeah. know, it ended up going this route. He didn't have any superpowers and like Chris Bryant's just a regular guy and that's not a knock on him at all. That's just kind of who he is as a person who happens to be really, really well-rounded in, in so many different facets of his game. So I can see that a lot. And, and I mean, Thor always says that he's the most powerful Avenger and I think Javi has some of the most power on the Cubs, if not the most. So I could definitely see that. I, I like that three. Um, all right. So uh, Avengers talk aside, Jake Marisnik went out. That was a pretty big blow for this team uh, that pulling up with the hamstring. I, I know you were there covering that game for that Cubs Pirates finale. He's out at least a, a couple of weeks here. It's looking like he has had hamstring injuries before he it limited him to, a, I think it was about 15 games last year, only in the shortened season with the Mets. He's been huge for the Cubs, though, so far this year. He has a 973 OPS. He plays elite defense in center field. He's been a really valuable guy, both off the bench and just playing some of these spot starts. So how do you think the loss of Marizic will affect the team for at least the next week and a half, if not two, three weeks going forward? I think the the immediate impact is on the defensive side. And Tony, I mean, you, you see it in the press box, too. I mean, there's some plays that Jake Marizic makes uh, that look really routine. But just because of his speed and, and his his defensive ability, he makes it look that way because there are some balls that are hit and you look at it and you're like, oh, that's that's a double. And you just see him galloping towards towards that gap and, and, and stealing the ball. And that's just what that's just the immediate impact. And, and we've seen, you know, kind of the the knock on effect. We've seen Chris Bryant in center field. We saw Jock Peterson in the finale against Cleveland in center field. We saw Matt Duffy in left field. That's, you know, the 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 kind of knock on effect that we see of Jake Marisnik not being in the lineup. And then you couple that with Ian Happ being out and Nico Horner, who has spent some time in center field being out. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a tough run of getting some consistency for the outfield. Um, when, when a guy like Jake Marisnik's out and honestly, like the, 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 one of the bigger things is once these guys start getting healthy, you want to have someone like Jake Marisnik that can start, you know, every third or fourth day, whenever is necessary and fill in and, you know, you don't skip a beat. And right now, you know, just with Ian, with all those guys, like we mentioned that are out, the loss of Marisnik is magnified just that much more. Yeah, it is for sure. I, I think the one thing working in the Cubs' favor, that the number one thing at this point is the three off days right now. It, it was two off days since Marisnik's been hurt, but a third off day last week and Thursday. So it's three off days in an eight-day span here that it really is not – it could not come at a better time for this team because Arietta only misses one start. Uh, Nico and, and Hap are only missing about seven, eight games, depending on, on exactly when they are able to come back. And yeah, Marisnik has two days where he's not missing games because of, of the off days here. So maybe he'll be able to come back and, and only miss about 10 or 12 games here overall. So that, that's what the Cubs are hoping at this point. Obviously, we don't know. Um, the other big thing is, is Chris Bryant's health. I mean, you know, taking a, a fastball off of the, the wrist, it was in, I think it was actually in Cleveland last year um, that he got hurt, that he made that diving play in the outfield and hurt his wrist and, and his finger. So um, obviously the Cubs are, are hoping that there is nothing uh, super horrible about this moving forward. Just he was, he has been under the weather. He had a little bit of sinus issues and breathing problems. So that's why he was not out there for the full game on Tuesday and to start Wednesday's game. But as of right now, all signs point to go for, for Chris Bryant, who's really been, 
not only an MVP candidate for the Cubs in the early going, but in the National League, he and Ronald Acuna Jr. are, are right up there in terms of war and, and extra base hits and OPS really across the board offensively. And like you mentioned, too, I think the other important part is Chris Bryant with Marisnik out and then with Hap out for maybe a couple of days. Bryant has become such an important member of this team because he hasn't even played third base in like three weeks now. So his versatility, I think, is just huge. But for you, Andy, is that is that really the guy you're looking at, too, is to see Bryant's health uh, over the next couple of days as they start the series in Detroit? Yeah, I think the, the big thing for Chris Bryant, you mentioned the injury last season in 2020. Um, he kind of had to, just given the circumstance of a 60-game season and then the sprint of the season that we've referenced 100 times a, a lot already, um, Chris Bryant just kind of had to rush back and he didn't have the time to get fully healthy from just those nicks and bruises that come along in the season. And, you know, you mentioned the wrist that, that happened last season, didn't have the, the full time to, to recuperate and get 100% healthy. This season, you know, you have that luxury. Jake Marisnik spoke about it a little bit with his hamstring, you know, last season when he was, when he had a hamstring injury, he kind of had to push back to try and get back because, you know, the Mets were trying to get in the playoff hunt. Uh, and, and now, you know, you can take, you have that luxury of, all right, let's take 10 days. Let's get this thing hundred percent. So we're, we're not having those, those side on effects. And I think that's what we're seeing out of Chris Bryant. It's like, Hey, you know, would, would the Cubs have loved to have played him, you know, Wednesday against Cleveland, of course. And, and, you know, if, this was maybe September and, you know, you're a game back or a game up or something, you're, you're probably playing him, but just given the circumstances, you, you can, you can afford to give him that day off on the, on the front end of another day off to get, you know, fully healthy. That's kind of what we're seeing out of, out of the, the Cubs. And it's kind of what David Ross has been doing, you know, throughout the season, you know, Wilson Contreras on the front end of a, of a day off, he'll get another day off just to maximize his time on uh, of rest and recuperation. We've seen it with Anthony Rizzo, you know, it's a trend and we're going to keep seeing it. Um, and, and it's really important as you, as you go from 162, because we've mentioned, you know, the 60 game season we've mentioned on pitchers, but for players, you know, a lot of these guys haven't played hundreds or all these guys haven't played at 162 since, since 2019. So, you know, the grind of it, while you, you mentally might think uh, you remember it and you can do it, you know, physically going through it is, is definitely, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's like riding a bike. It's probably going to take a, a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks before you, you fully get back into it. Yeah, for sure. And I think we've already seen just with some of the lineups and uh, roster decisions that Ross has had, he obviously is looking at the big picture here. I mean, he, you know, there was um, Friday, the opener against the Pirates, he said Kimbrell was down. He wanted to give him two days in a row because Kimbrell had worked five of seven games prior to that. And he really was looking at the big picture health of, of you know, the Cubs all-star Hall of Fame level closer. So I, I think we've already seen that from Ross and the Cubs. I, I know there's all this outside perception, but the Cubs feel strongly that they can compete this year, that they can contend in a National League Central that doesn't really have a team that looks like it's going to pull away. The Cardinals have been playing really, really good baseball, but the Cubs feel like they can be there all summer, at least internally and in that clubhouse. So they're definitely going to take the big picture look. They're not, you know, you know they don't have this short sprint mindset like, I definitely had, I know, and I, I know you and I have talked about it a little bit, Andy, like we had at the beginning of the season, that was like, every game matters so much. It's like, yeah, they matter. But at the end of the day, it's an April 7th game or a May 2nd game or whatever it is. And over the course of 162, like the big picture is important. Overall health is important. And I think we've already seen that. And I think the, the big picture too, of looking at this offense right now, there's a lot of encouraging signs. Like they did only score three runs in Cleveland. They went two for 25 with runners in scoring position. They left, I think, 23 or 25 guys on base overall. 
at the end of the day, they did have 20 hits. They had drew 10 walks against the best bullpen in baseball. The guy who, who won the AL Cy Young last year, and then four innings of a, of a spot starter who they had never seen before. So there's a lot to like. David Ross talked about it at the, at the conclusion of the series that he actually really likes the approach from these guys. And when you consider that there is no Hap, there is no Horner, there is no Marisnik for that. Uh, Javi only, you know, did not play at all Tuesday and only played Wednesday. Brian only played part of Tuesday and then one uh, played appearance on Wednesday. So without two of their better players. So I think there's just a lot of encouraging signs right now. And, and if you look big picture, if you zoom out a little bit, this offense since April 17th, since that explosion against the Braves, the Cubs lead baseball and runs scored slugging percentage and OPS. And they're second to only the White Sox in, in batting average and on base percentage. So it's been a little while here that this Cubs offense has actually been thriving a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and going, going off of that, that uh, offense thriving minds or uh, topic, when, when you look at the, the runners and scoring position, you know, it was very interesting. I was thinking, yeah, it seems like the two for 25 thing has been, uh, you know, it seems like every game it's like that. And the, maybe I think part of it for me is that 60 game sprint mentality where every game matters. And you, you only remember the, the heightened and, and, and then bad things, I guess is uh, in a way um, I was looking at the numbers uh, in the Cubs and runners in score position ranked fourth or fifth in RBI. And then they rank fourth or fifth in opportunities. So you, you, they're getting the opportunities and they're also getting the runs when they need them. So, you know, the batting average might be, might be a little down and, and the, the, the runners in scoring position stats might be a little bit down, but in terms of actually getting the guys across, which is at the end of the day, what, what matters is scoring the runs. Um, they're doing that. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing that's stood out to me over this stretch of about three weeks here, actually almost a month as we're recording on the 12th and we're talking about since April 17th, what we're seeing from this team is a resiliency and a fight. And like you said, they are coming up with the runs when they need to, but we've also seen them battle back, even in games they've lost. There was that game in Cincinnati, uh, both of them, I think the two that they lost the Friday game and then the Sunday game, they just continued to battle back that Friday, you know, they, they were down four or five runs going into the ninth inning and ended up coming up with, with the go ahead run at the plate. And then uh, in on the Sunday game, there was a, that awesome fun slug fest where Ian Happ hit the game tying homer and the Cubs kept battling back. Now they lost both of those games. Same thing with the, with the finale against the pirates, but they had another big ninth inning rally in that. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot is some of the reason why these these games are so many one run games that they're playing so many games that they're close is because the offense never gives up. And we saw that so much during that Dodgers series is that they always seemed like they were confident that they could get the run home. And when they were down to their final out, Javi Baez had a two run home, right? It just seems like a different offense right now in terms of um, going through their plate approach and, and having their plan up there. And that's what I've seen so far. Is that what you've seen? Yeah, that's what I've seen for sure. And, and it's, it's so interesting that you mentioned the red series because I, I think back on that series and I'm like, oh yeah, they took two out of three of the Reds, but they didn't, they lost, they lost two out of three, but just the way that they played and the, the, the signs that you saw from the offense and, and from the team overall, you, like, it seems like they won that series. And I think, you know, that, that series and then the Dodgers series told you so much about the, the Cubs team. I mean, the, this team, you know, when the offense is clicking is it's, it's very special. And you saw it against, you mentioned that game, that game against the Dodgers, that second game against the Dodgers with Trevor Bauer, um, you know, it was, it was like, oh my gosh, are they going to like, are they going to lose this game? Like, it was just so crazy, but you like, it just, it just had this vibe of the offense was never out of it, which at least early on in the season, um, when they were stringing together only two or three hits a game, 
that wasn't the case. Now we're seeing, we saw it in Cleveland, you know, nine hits. We're, we're seeing the offense clicking and, you know, like they're never really out of it, you know, even what, no matter what the score says. And I think that all stems from that, especially that Sunday game in Cincinnati. Yeah. And I think that belief is really important. There's a level of innate confidence in the dugout and in the clubhouse that they can come through that they have, you know, guys like Matt Duffy or Jake Marisnik or Eric Sogard that can come off the bench. And then they have their star players, their all-stars and MVP candidates. And, and I think there is that belief that they, that they feel like they can come back, whether they're down five runs early or whether they're down two runs and down to their final out or whatever the case may be. It just seems like they have, so much more of a belief and a confidence than they had, you know, obviously the first two, three weeks of the season when things weren't going their way offensively. And, and I think, you know, one of the other things too, is it seems like it's a different guy every day. You know, again, we are talking about some losses in there, but in the series in Cleveland, you know, it was Jack Peterson coming around. Wilson Contreras had a four hit game in the finale there. And so when, when Duffy does kind of slow down a little bit, um, and, and Brian's out or Javi's out, there are other guys stepping up. So I, th I think that's really just the key to this lineup and to this team. But moving forward too, regardless of how the offense plays, the Cubs want to get back to a different point in, in preventing runs. They want to they want to move forward a little bit. Now, this was a team that last year defensively won the first ever team gold glove. And they were third, I think they were third or fourth in defensive runs saved last season overall. This year, they came in a play on Wednesday, 26th in baseball in defensive runs saved. So it's a little bit of um, the defense hasn't come through, but David Ross also pointed to the fact that the pitching staff is giving up the highest exit velocity in baseball right now. And, and a lot of these guys, whether it's, you know, Kyle Hendricks or Zach Davies or some of the relievers, they haven't been the, the versions of themselves that the Cubs or uh, any external um, experts were, were thinking that they would be like nobody expected Davies to have a, a nine ERA through his first month with the Cubs after having a, a two seven four you know fifth best ERA in baseball last year. So I, I think when it boils down to it, too, the offense is good, but the Cubs really to to take that next step, it's they need to keep doing what we've seen a little bit from them over the past week, but it's preventing runs right now. Yeah, and that's that's the key, right? Like I think we saw the the bullpen has shown its flashes of what it could be, and it could has the makings for for a very very good bullpen. Um, and and we're seeing the the offense come through on the runs, but you know right now it's the defense and the starters that you know kind of have to elevate their game, and we're seeing it like you mentioned with Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davis these last few weeks. Um, Jake Arrieta when he's fully healthy, you, you expect him to get back to what he was his first few starts of of the year. Adbert Alzelay is turning into you know one of the surprises I guess if you want to call it that but he's been he's been very very good for the rotation um and then Trevor Williams has been a, a very solid um fourth fifth third whatever I'd, because of the injuries you know he's he's been you know the, the, there's no really uh there's not really a fifth starter right now but you know he's he's uh he's he's taking on the mantra of that of, of that rotation and, and filling in nicely um now it just comes down to you know the defense like we mentioned and I think part of it is we got we go back to it the injuries right like Matt Duffy having to play left field, Chris Bryant having to play center field. Like if you, if, if you think about it, you know, when the Cubs are fully healthy, your, your best defensive lineup probably has Chris Bryant at third, um, Jake Marisnik in center in a late game situation, Ian Happ in left or Jack Peterson in left, Jason Hayward in right. And we just haven't seen that, you know, in, in, in a few weeks, just given the injuries. Um, but you expect when the, when the guys get healthy, when, when the Cubs are fully healthy, the defense will improve. And, and that'll help a lot of these, you know, contact oriented pitchers like Zach Davies, like Kyle Hendricks and like Trevor Williams. 
Yeah, and we talked a lot about the the Dodgers series. That was such an impactful series for the the Cubs for obvious reasons. They're the reigning world champs, and Cubs swept them. And um, but it was also really cool from a fan point of view, from Marquis' point of view, to have the Megalodon, this awesome new camera that fans, uh, you know, there was a buzz about last week. And we're actually uh, we had this great behind the scenes interview with with Mike Fox and Pat Estelle talking about it. And we're going to see that the Megalodon back in action next week when the Nationals come to. Wrigley Field. Uh, so we're going to see John Lester, Kyle Schwarber, all those guys on this awesome video game like camera. But uh, let's take a quick break and then chat with, with Mike and Pat about how the Meg came to be. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. Marquee Sports Network debuted an exciting new element to the broadcast on the last homestand with the addition of the Megalodon, a camera that has produced some really, really cool shots and has a really, really cool name. We're going to talk with two of the people behind the scenes that helped operate the camera and bring this, this new lens into Cubs fans' homes on the last homestand. Mike Fox, director of the live broadcast, game broadcast for the Cubs on Marquee Sports Network, and Pat Castell is also joining us. He is the producer editor for Cubs Productions, and he was a camera operator operator for the Megalodon. So first up, Mike, can you just give a brief intro of, of yourself and how you got into this position right now with Marquis and, and the Cubs live game broadcast? Sure. Um, good to talk to you guys. Uh, I um, you know been in the business a long time, been a long time producer director, done baseball for 20 years. Um, was actually doing the Dodgers at the time. I was with um, Sportsnet LA and uh, was really intrigued by the, um, the opportunity to launch this network. Like that's really what brought me over here. And I'm, I'd known Mike Santini, who's uh, him and I go way back um, when he was producing the Mets. And uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in coming in and helping to launch this network. And, you know, it's anytime you get a chance to start something new in this business like this, and, and as special as it is, with uh, being a Cubs network. I mean, I just jumped at the chance. So, so that's pretty much how, uh, how I got here. And your name was Mike. So, I mean, you had a, a shot in the door too, because half the people at Marquee are named Mike right now. Right. Exactly. That was a prerequisite, I think, for, for my position. <laughs> and Pat, yourself, I know you and I actually crossed paths at NBC for a few years. Now you're with Cubs production. Can you just give the listeners a little bit of a background of yourself, how you got to this position now? Sure. I've been in the uh, sports video production uh, in the industry for about 15 years, uh, worked as a sports anchor. That was my first job in Rockford and then uh, moved on to Chicago and worked alongside uh, a lot of people um, that work over at Marquee, including yourself, Tony. Um, after that, I was one of the initial members of the uh, Cubs video board team that started in 2015. A couple years later, uh, joined the team full-time in 2017. Been there ever since as a producer, editor, videographer, most of the time producing um, either long-form documentaries and such. Uh, but this year has been a, a, an interesting one um, because of all the protocols and such. There's only a couple of us that are allowed on the field and uh are able to interact with players. So a lot of my role has transitioned more into, uh, you know, videography and photography. And I think that's how, you know, I was introduced to the Megalodon. And I think it's mm -hmm. been an exciting 
couple of weeks and uh, it's certainly generated a lot of buzz around Chicago, around the network, fans, um, and it's been cool to be a part of it. So yeah, the first thing that really stands out, I think, is the name. That's the, the hook that a lot of people have gotten. The visuals are very cool, but the name is, is definitely something that stands out. I know the Megalodon is like this prehistoric creature. I saw a Jason Statham movie about it a couple years ago that was, uh, you know, very entertaining. How, Mike, do you know how the camera got its name, Megalodon? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, it's a funny story, actually. By the way, that movie's not that bad. I like no, that No, I liked it. That wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, Mike Davies, who's a longtime um, vice president of production with Fox, long time ago, he uh, had a son who was into dinosaurs, was a huge Megalodon fan. So uh, he had basically come up with this joke, and we're talking probably 15 years ago at least, where um, any new technology that Fox would develop, they would just call it the Megalodon. So they would, and they actually even created a website at one point with this futuristic looking camera. Um, and it was really just put out there as a joke. And like most of the people got the joke and some people didn't, but um, anytime Fox would develop any kind of new technology, they just call it the Megalodon. And that's how the whole thing started. So um, when Jared Legraney, who was a technical director for NFL, had brought this technology to Fox at the time, he was... Uh, technically directing one of their, I think it was either the B or the C broadcast um, for NFL. When he brought them this technology and they were looking for a name for it, they just called it the Megalodon thinking it would just be another joke. And it ended up taking off. And that's really how the name stuck. So how did this come about in terms of, um, you know, being on Marquee and Cubs Productions radar for the last homestand? How did it go from, you know, kind of an idea into actual inception on the field for the Cubs games? Well, I remember seeing it um, back in probably December was when they started it on the uh, on NFL. And Jared at the time was developing um, this camera that he was using mostly just to shoot scenics or he would go out and um, for the I think probably he didn't start shooting players with it until about January, maybe even early January. And then they, they thought, well, you know, what if we could I wonder if we could get a live signal of this camera because it looked so cool you know, with the, the shallow depth of field and it almost kind of looked like a video game. So they had developed RF technology that allowed Jared to get that signal live into the, the truck. So they were still kind of using it and it was still pretty rough um, the way they were using it. And then they decided, well, what if we put it on a steady cam arm, give it a little bit more move mobility um, and then let's let's try and use it live during a game. And that's how that whole, whole, whole thing happened. And during that time, because Jared uh, is from Denver, I'm also from Denver, him and I would talk all the time about new technology and this cool thing that he was doing. Um, when I saw it, I kind of immediately thought, I wonder what other applications there would be for this. So when I started here at Marquee, Jared and I were talking and I saw it at the Masters uh, about whatever that was a month ago or a few weeks ago. And I thought, okay, they've used it on football. Now they're using it on golf. I, I have sort of an in with this new technology. I want to be the first one to use this on, use this on baseball. So that was, that was really how it started. And I reached out to Jared and I said, what's it going to take to get you here? Bring this camera here because I want to try it. I want to be the first ones to use it 
on the field for baseball. And that's where Pat came in. Pat and Matt Romito, they're the rock stars here because it would not have the same impact if it wasn't for those guys, because those guys give us the access on the field that we need to make this work. That's, that's a perfect segue then. So Pat, how did this land on your radar and Matt Romito? How did it come about? When did you first hear about it? And I remember seeing you behind, I think it was Hendricks warming up in the Dodgers series. And I saw you out there um, for one of the games, the doubleheader with this new thing. And I saw some of the shots coming out. I had heard a little bit about it and I was like, wow, this, I was like blown away by the imagery of this, but Pat, what, what was your perspective on this whole thing? Yeah. So there was a, a, a couple conversations that were being had with Cubs productions team and the marquee team about implementing this new camera uh, on the broadcast. And it happened pretty quick. I, I want to say like there was a conversation, uh, you know, probably a couple of weeks ago. And then the next week it was like, are you ready to train on it on Monday? I was like, sure. I mean, Mike had me walk Hendricks out to the bullpen for the first time and grabbed it, started walking backwards. And I'm just like looking at this shot. I'm like, man, this is so good. And I'm not even really doing anything. It's just me walking and it's doing the rest. And I think that's the beauty of this camera is it was a different sort of learning curve but in some ways it was, it was really refreshing uh, to experience like a new camera like this. Quick follow-up to that, Pat, because you just said something that uh, made me think. Have you ever tripped or fallen as you've been shooting? Because I know you do a lot of the video board stuff at Wrigley. Uh, I, I don't know for sure. Have you ever tripped? I haven't tripped. I was looking to knock on wood somewhere, but um, <laughs> I haven't tripped. And I've run pitchers out to the mound a decent amount. Uh, the first couple of years of my job in, in 2015 and 16, I was running the pitcher out like constantly. And it was with, you know, a larger over the shoulder camera. <laughs> the shot was always kind of mediocre. It was like bouncing all over the place, sometimes in focus, sometimes out of focus. Um, but they used it from time to time. And I remember following Hendricks out, you know, that first game. And it was just like, wow, why couldn't we have this thing years ago? Like, uh, you know, I would never even think about using another camera to run a picture out again, knowing that this camera can do this with the ease um, of it as well. Like it's light, it gets a great picture um, and it has caused a lot of buzz. And I think like it's a game changer for sure. Um, I'm curious where, where we're going to go, you know, where the rest of the season takes us and where the rest of uh, uh, the next few years take us with technology. But it's it's a great implementation into uh, the marquee broadcast. Mike, on that buzz that Pat was just talking about, what was your reaction seeing some of these shots on the broadcast and then also just seeing the fan base react or, or the media world, social media reacting to some of these shots? Yeah, it's amazing. Like I, I, in my head, I, I thought that this could be a great tool and something that would be really cool, but you really just never know. You know, you kind of taking a chance and rolling the dice. And, and of course, like Pat said, we got rained out that first game, but he went out during batting practice and he shot a couple of guys around the cage that first day. And we were all blown away just by that. So, you know, I think that kind of surprised us that, oh, okay, this, this actually been, can be pretty cool. 
And even though we didn't use it a ton that day, I got a sense of what it was going to be like. And then like Pat said, that first Hendricks walkout uh, out to the outfield, just to walk out to the bullpen was amazing. And then, and then we had a double header that day, which was cool. So Tuesday was a full day of two seven inning games of using it and fan stuff and, and uh, the Hendricks walkout. And then um, I can't remember who pitched the night game. Um, Keegan Thompson. Thompson. Yeah, it was Keegan Thompson. So we had him going to the mound. So you had a whole day of, of being able to showcase it. So the buzz was really cool, but I, 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 even me, I was surprised that, that people picked up on it so fast and, and people started tweeting about it and, you know, what is this camera? And then actually we had Boog mentioned on the air because we honestly, it was more for to explain to people that they might be seeing something different. So we had Boog had a read that he could explain what it was. And this is a new camera. It's shallow depth of field. Um, we're trying it for the first time. You may have seen it on the NFL and the Super Bowl. So, you know, I think he explained it to the fans in a way that made sense and gave it a name on the air, which people hooked into. So all those things together, plus the pictures it was creating, just it was it was awesome. And the and the buzz really started from there. Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me, you talked to us a little bit about how how it was just to operate this camera in general. But for me, I saw it up close on Friday and it was a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be as a camera. Just how was this for you to, to actually operate compared to a normal camera that you, like you said, you would run out a picture to the mound with? I, I loved it. I think that um, it was, it was so much lighter than your, your typical camera that, you know, you're used to um, as far as broadcast is concerned. Um, I was, you know, using this for about an hour straight and I felt like I could have kept shooting. Like most of the time I'd be pretty worn out, but, um, I felt because of how lightweight it was, it just made it so much more enjoyable to shoot. Um, and I think that helped with, with the experience. Uh, I certainly had a lot of people come up to me and, and, and say like, um, you know, how much is this camera worth? Like, it looks like it's really expensive. Um, and it really like compared to a lot of Steadicams and, and Ronins and such, um, it's not as expensive. Mike, you probably have better numbers on this than me. I mean, the most expensive thing is uh, the wireless unit in the backpack, I would assume. Yeah, it's not, it's really not that expensive. It's a, it's just a really good still photography camera with a prime lens and those are expensive um, and the steady cam rig that's but definitely got some expense to it. And then the RF transmitter and receiver, that's definitely got some expense to it, but it's really not a whole lot. And it's kind of a delicate rig to be honest, like when you look at it. So, you know, you talking about Pat tripping with the, with the camera, you know, if it's a big, heavy shoulder mounted truck camera, that's one thing, but, if you fell with the uh, with the mag, I would I would be really nervous just to see what would happen because it's actually a pretty small like little rig. Mm-hmm. So Pat, your athleticism's on the line here for the rest of the year. I, I know I'm so out of shape too. It's like this is the worst year to be like the most active as far as like being a videographer is like when you're coming out of quarantine and it's like okay now you're gonna run and walk backwards and uh, do all these things that you typically don't do in, you know, 
your normal. And I remember that first day it was rainy because we got rained out. And I remember Pat saying, you know, I got to run a picture out with wet grass. Like, I don't know how that's going to go. Yeah. Well, maybe it was best. Yeah, definitely that the rain out uh, didn't occur or that happened and the game didn't happen in, in that case. Um, but as we look at this, you know, in the mag and what we're going to be seeing from this in the future too, Mike, what, what do you think? I mean, it, it looks like we're going to be having the Megalodon for the remainder of broadcast this year on marquee. Is that, is that how you envision it being used? What, what do you see for what should Cubs fans expect? I guess I'm asking for the rest of the year. Well, I think, uh, you know, because the response was so great this week and early on, Marquis really uh, stepped up to the plate and and they have rented that camera for the rest of the season. So we're going to have it for the whole season. You know, I think you're going to start to see us a little more access with the players as the season goes on, as things open up a little bit for Major League Baseball. I think the players might even start getting involved a little bit because now they'll start to recognize the technology, just like it did with the NFL, where, you know, if you notice during the playoff games for NFL, the guys were actually looking for this camera. Like they started knowing that, okay, that's the, the this new camera that, that I want to play to. And I think the players will start to recognize it. And I think you're going to start to see, um, you're going to start to see us on the field after home runs. You're going to see us on the field um, for post-game for post-game celebrations, for walk-offs. You know, I think we're, we're going to try and continue to bring the Cubs fans closer to the action with this camera. And, uh, and it, it's guys like Pat that, that can really make that happen. Well, we appreciate you guys both stopping by, helping uh, shed some light, peek behind the curtain on, on how the broadcast gets made and how this really cool imagery uh, has landed in, in the living room of Cubs fans. So thank you, Mike and, and Pat, for stopping by the podcast here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. That was a great conversation with those guys. We appreciate them stopping by. And Andy, I, we're going to see the Meg in action again right away next week for and for every subsequent homestand after this. But next week's going to be a big one because we got John Lester, Kyle Schwarber, their return to Wrigley Field. It's going to be a lot of emotions. Uh, it's going to be pretty cool. We should see John Lester pitch, maybe even in game one. Uh, but just overall, what was your experience? What was your your reaction to seeing some of the shots from the Meg? It was super cool and it like is still super cool. It's like one of those things that I thought, you know, you know, after a couple of times I'd be like, oh yeah, like that's really cool. But it's still like, oh my gosh, like look at Chris Bryan in the Megalodon or, you know, look at Javi Baez in the Megalodon. Like, it's just, it's so cool. And it, it, it feels like you're in a, like in a video game and like, like when you play Madden or, or any sports game and you're, you're in between cutscenes before you play, like that's just what it feels like. And it's super cool. And I think what's really even cooler is seeing some of the fans in the Megalodon shots. And I know a lot of them are like super excited. And I think there was one fan that had this poster that said that, like, Hey, where are you Megalodon and wanted to be on it. So, you know, it's, it's very cool. And, and I think a lot of fans are going to be excited to see themselves uh, on the Megalodon cam as well. Yeah, I'm with you totally. Like when I watched it for the first time and I saw the footage, I remember thinking to myself, like, this looks more clear than real life. And I was like, if I were down behind Kyle Hendricks on the mound as he was warming up and, and we just heard Pakistan talk about this, the picture that I've seen and keep going back to, it looks more clear than real life. I don't know how that could be. Maybe my eyesight needs to be changed, but it just, it really stood out to me. And Andy, you and I remember talking about it when it, when um, in the first couple of days that it happened, but I remember thinking back and I'm dating myself a little bit here, but when HD really became a thing and started becoming 
um, such a huge part of sports broadcasts. Like I remember watching the NFL games and when I was growing up in like middle school and high school, we had one TV in our house that had an HD uh, capabilities. And so I remember watching like Monday night football games on it. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And this is what I, I compare it to like this. I'm with you. I thought, Oh, okay. Like this will be cool. And you know, it's, it's like not a gimmick, but just something that, um, that I'll get tired of, or it'll just be, you know, general after this. Yeah. Second nature. And, and it wasn't that it's still like really cool and stands out to me. Yeah. And that's the same thing for me. Like, yeah, you mentioned HD. I remember I'm like, this, when HD came out, I'm like, this is it. Like nothing's going to get better than HD. And now I'm like looking at Megalodon and I'm like, oh man, we're spoiled. Cause now HD is going to look, is going to look second rate to this. Yeah, for sure. Um, but so we're definitely looking forward to seeing how that's going to go. And uh, if there are some emotions or tears when John Lester and Kyle Schroeder actually get a chance to, to interact with Cubs fans next week, uh, the Meg, you can be sure we'll catch that. And Pakistan will be right behind it. Mike Fox will be pushing the buttons there as well, uh, directing everything. But that'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app. Thanks for listening and watching.